To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, these are the words of him who has the sharp double-edged sword. I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me, even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city, where Satan lives. Nevertheless, I have a few things against you. You have people there who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to incite the Israelites to sin by eating food sacrificed to idols and by committing sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore, otherwise I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To him who overcomes, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give him a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to him who receives it. Thanks, Joy. Open your Bibles with me to Revelation chapter 2. I am a sucker for a good deal. Another way to phrase that would be, I am a tightwad. I am cheap, I'm not much for brand name stuff, I generally opt for the knockoff version, but most of the time, I end up getting what I paid for. Now, my father-in-law is a cheapskate, too. He's a wonderful man, I love him to death, but he is a penny pincher to his core. So when he bought himself a new flat screen TV, that was a pretty big deal. And then I was even more excited when he decided to give that very flat screen TV to my wife and I as a wedding present. How incredibly kind. And yet I should have known what was going on when I didn't recognize the brand of the TV. (laughs) Turns out he bought just about the cheapest TV he could find. So even when you turn the volume all the way up on that thing, it still sounds like they're talking in a tin can. (laughs) Turns out a lot of what looks like a good deal ends up being a ripoff. And I've bought from the snake oil salesman one too many times, and I'm slowly learning to hang on for the real thing and not settle for the cheap substitute. And in Pergamum, Jesus is reminding the church to hang on for the real thing. Don't settle for the cheap substitute. We're going to look at four things about this letter today. First, let's look at the place. The place. Revelation chapter 2, verse 12 says, To the angel of the church in Pergamum write, These are the words of him who has the sharp, double-edged sword. So the place is Pergamum. This church is in Pergamum in the first century. Pergamum's in Asia Minor, modern-day Turkey. And it was a large city, about 150,000 people. It was an important place, prosperous, full of historical significance. And yet we see Jesus standing over this city and this church holding a sword. And this image of Jesus holding a sword is fitting because Pergamum was one of the rare cities in the empire that Rome had granted the right of independent capital punishment. In other words, they could judge and even execute people on their own. Literally, it was said they had the right of the sword. And yet Jesus is reminding the church with this picture of himself that he is the one who truly stands as judge over all the earth with his word, and he is the one who ultimately holds the power of life and death, even in an important city like Pergamum. Now, Pergamum actually had the second largest library in the world, over 200,000 volumes. That's a lot. But by comparison, in our day, as of 2014, Amazon had 3.4 million books on it, and 12 new ones were being added every single hour. That's a lot. 
Both America and Pergamum are places of great learning, great opportunity, great education. And yet Jesus stands over it all saying, I don't care how much you think you know. I don't care how big your library is. My word trumps it all. And Jesus proceeds to pull back the veil to reveal this great city for what it really is. The stomping grounds of Satan himself. That's the place. Let's look at the praise for the church. Verse 13. Jesus says, I know where you live, where Satan has his throne. Yet you remain true to my name. You did not renounce your faith in me. Not even in the days of Antipas, my faithful witness, who was put to death in your city where Satan lives. Wow. So much for a great city of great learning. Jesus says twice, he says, actually, that's where Satan has his throne. That's where Satan lives. Wow, those are strong words. What does Jesus mean here? Well, a few options. Number one, Jesus could be referring actually to the city of Pergamum itself. You'll see the ruins here. This is the Acropolis at Pergamum. It was up high on a hill, a thousand feet above anything else. You could see it. You could see the skyline for miles and miles around. It kind of looks like a throne, doesn't it? Maybe that's what Jesus is referring to when he talks about Satan's throne. Or secondly, maybe Jesus is talking about the idolatry that happens in Pergamum. One of the gods that these people worshipped was the god Asclepius, who is a god of healing. And the image of Asclepius was the image of a serpent wrapped around a staff. You may recognize it. You'll see that image of the god Asclepius on ambulances and medical schools and hospitals all over today. One of the prescriptions they had for sick people back then was to have them lie on the floor of the temple and let snakes crawl over them all night long. No thanks, I'll just stay sick. (laughs) Maybe that's what Jesus is referring to. Thirdly, maybe Jesus is talking about the altar to the god Zeus that was in Pergamum. This is the altar here. It was 120 feet high, mounted up on the Acropolis, the most prominent building around. Sacrifices were offered on that altar 24 hours a day. You could smell the burning animal flesh. And yet, what does it look like? A horseshoe or maybe a throne, perhaps? You'll see there are serpents carved into the side of this altar. Maybe that's what Jesus was talking about. You can see this altar today. That's the real thing in Berlin. But fourthly, maybe Jesus is talking about the imperial cult. I don't know if you've heard of the imperial cult, but it was where Romans would worship the emperor as a deity, as divine, as a god. This is a bust of the emperor Domitian, who was in charge at the time Revelation was written. And the imperial cult was centered in, you guessed it, Pergamum, they were the first city in the empire to build a temple to a living emperor. So it could be any one of those things, or maybe, just maybe, Jesus is referring to all of it. Because when you zoom in at this city like we just did, it's pretty easy to see that this is a pagan hotbed. Satan has his fingerprints all over the place. So don't be seduced by the great learning and wealth of information and social prestige and engineering marvels and pioneering spirit of the world around us. Look closer, and it's not hard to see the devil's fingerprints. And yet, Jesus says that even in the midst of Satan's playground, these Christians have stayed faithful to Jesus. They've not denied him. They've not taken the easy way out, even in the face of death. In those days, people were required to drop a pinch of incense on a pagan altar and say, Caesar is Lord. And yet, these Christians won't give the name Lord to any mere man. 
They're saving it for Jesus and they're suffering as a result. One man, at least one, has even died. We see him here. His name is Antipas. Jesus calls him my faithful witness. That word witness is the Greek word martus, which is where we get our word martyr. You may remember that Jesus himself was called the faithful witness in Revelation chapter one. Both Jesus and Antipas were faithful, even unto death. They didn't settle for the cheap way out, cheap peace. They held on and they were faithful. We're gonna do something a little bit different today. We're gonna take some time now and have a couple minutes of silence. It may be awkward, don't worry about it. We're gonna take this time to pray as a church silently. One of the most beautiful phrases in this text is when Jesus says, I know where you live. Jesus knows where you live. And he knows that many of you right now are struggling to be faithful to him in the midst of problems in your life, wounds, scars, battles that you are fighting, family brokenness maybe, a difficult marriage, a problem child, money problems, that health problem that you can't seem to kick and the doctors can't figure it out, that old sin struggle that keeps on coming up. I don't know what it is, but Jesus knows where you live. So we're gonna take the next couple minutes in silence to ask Jesus, first of all, to give you wisdom, to know how to be faithful to him, and secondly, to give you the strength to carry it through, and then listen for his response. Let's pray. Father, you know that in every heart of this room is a wound, a scar. Our hearts are all broken hearts. And you know that every person in here is fighting a hard battle. So Father, I pray that you would empower each of us to be faithful to you. Show us how you want us to stand up for your name, how you want us to persevere. Give us the strength to carry it through. We can only do it through your power. Take the wounds and the brokenness and the scars in this room and redeem them. We love you in Jesus' name, amen. So we've talked about the place and we've talked about the praise. Now let's talk about the problem. 
Because Jesus praises the church for not settling for cheap peace, for not denying his name, but there is a problem in the church. Look at what Jesus says, verses 14 through 16. He says, nevertheless, I have a few things against you. There are some among you who hold to the teaching of Balaam, who taught Balak to entice the Israelites to sin so that they ate food, sacrificed to idols, and committed sexual immorality. Likewise, you also have those who hold to the teaching of the Nicolaitans. Repent, therefore. Otherwise, I will soon come to you and will fight against them with the sword of my mouth. So these Christians, they weren't giving in to the external pressures, but they were giving in to internal temptation. Satan loves to do that. If he can't knock us down with a frontal assault like persecution, then he's going to opt for guerrilla warfare, undermining our integrity through false teaching, temptation, immoral living, personal sin. That's the example that Jesus uses here. This pagan Gentile prophet named Balaam from the Old Testament. He was hired to come against God's people, the Israelites, because the enemies of God's people couldn't beat them head on. But Balaam had the idea to send pagan women in to seduce the Israelite men. And sure enough, the Israelites weren't very far into their debauchery before they gave in and started worshiping other gods. And 24,000 people died as a result. Satan couldn't beat them as a roaring lion. But he was sneaking in as a whispering snake. Have you heard his lies? Oh, just do it. It'll be fine. What's the big deal? Everybody else is doing it. You're not hurting anybody. Be yourself. Nobody can tell you what's right or wrong. You deserve this. In fact, you can't live without it. Indulge yourself just one more time. You need this. Look around, church. Watch your life. Satan is whispering. And his lies are direct assaults on the character of God. When you give in to Satan's lies, you're saying, God, I don't think you really are enough. I don't think your way really is the best way. The church at Pergamum was listening to lies. The people were facing pressure to attend sacrificial ceremonies and meals that had to do with idols and the worship of other gods. That was how you networked socially back then. But these meals came with idolatry and drunkenness and sexual immorality. But the false teachers in the church would say, oh, it's okay. God will forgive you, right? Just go for it. But that's cheap grace. That's cheap intimacy. That's spiritual and physical prostitution. And you don't have to look very long before you see that it's all around us too. Marital affairs, pornography, emotional unfaithfulness with inappropriate relationships with coworkers, premarital sex, cohabitation, you name it. The Bible calls it sexual immorality. And it's cheap. It's a dopamine rush without the true joy of relational intimacy. It's a sexual release without the foundation of a commitment. It's a hormonal indulgence of your glands without putting in the hard work of actually loving someone in the day-to-day nitty-gritty aspects of everyday life. It's cheap. And it's a distortion of God's design. And the devil tells you that it'll make you happy because it looks real, authentic, and good, 
but it's a cheap substitute. Never lasts. And yet the serpent still whispers, try me. I'll make you happy. The world around us promises us happiness in a lot of ways, doesn't it? A pay raise, a promotion, nicer car, bigger house, more popular friends. But does that happiness last? We just got done with Christmas. Tell me, did any of you find eternal lasting joy underneath your Christmas tree? <laughs> did, can any of you look back on the $3 stocking stuffers that you got two weeks ago and say, finally, the longings of my soul were satisfied, the thirsts of my heart were quenched, I want nothing else as long as I live? Do you guys even know where your Christmas presents are right now? I don't know where all mine are. <laughs> it doesn't last, does it? Oh, sure, it satisfies for a moment, but then it's off to the wayside and we're on to the next best thing. And for most of us, we hear Satan's roars, and it's not too hard to resist those. But it's the whispers of the snake, those little lies that get us. I hear the roar of white supremacy and racism, and I can resist that. But it's the little whispers of prejudice and profiling that can still lodge its way in my brain. I know the roar of the strip club and pornography, and I can fight that, but it's the little whisper of a second glance or a thought entertained that can still find its way into my head. I know the roar of false teaching and heresy, and I can resist that, but it's the little whisper of twisting scripture to mean what I want it to mean to justify my actions that I still catch myself leaning towards. I know the roar of gambling addiction and the corruption that comes from the love of money, and I can resist that, but it's the little whisper of greed and materialism and wanting just one more thing that still sounds appealing to me. <laughs> I know the roar of weaving a web of lies and living a double life, and I can resist that, but it's the little whisper of wanting to twist the story just a little bit to make myself look better, or maybe only telling part of the truth. It still seems like an attractive solution to me. What lies, what little whispers is Satan using to tempt you? What lines is he asking you to blur? What little compromises are you making to draw you away from faithfulness, complete faithfulness to Jesus? Because the church in Pergamum has listened to a lie they're settling for a cheap substitute instead of real intimacy. They're giving in to idolatry and self-indulgence. So what does Jesus say to do? Repent. Stop listening to lies. Antipas may have felt the sword of Rome, but these spiritual adulterers are about to feel the sword of Jesus Christ if they do not repent. That church and this one has a choice. They can either fight against the false teaching and the idolatry and the sexual immorality around them with God's word, or they can do nothing and God will come and fight against them himself. And I don't know about you, but I don't want to fight against God. <laughs> We're going to have a couple more minutes of silence now. This is going to be a time of prayer and introspection because some of you are listening to lies. I want you to pray and ask Jesus to reveal to you where you may be listening to the whisper of the serpent, the lies of Satan, not being faithful to Jesus. And then repent. Confess your sins to God. 
Ask for the courage to confess them to another person and begin your action plan of healing. So where are you listening to the whisper of Satan's lies? Maybe you're cutting corners at work. Maybe you're cheating at school. Maybe you're deceiving your spouse. Maybe you're not being faithful with the jokes that you tell and laugh at. You're mocking the sins that Christ died for. Maybe it's gossip. Maybe you're harboring bitterness and refusing to forgive that person. Maybe you're sacrificing your integrity to fit in. Maybe it's materialism. You're buying more stuff, thinking it'll make you happy. Jesus, we want to be faithful to you. And yet in each of our hearts, there are still these corners of darkness that we need you to shine your light into. We ask you to reveal to us where we are living for ourselves instead of you. To empower us through your Holy Spirit to be faithful to you and to be dead to our sin. And we need your help in this. Thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. So we've talked about the place, talked about the praise, we've talked about the problem, but the good news is that in each of these seven letters, Jesus ends with a promise. A promise for those who trust him and are victorious. Part of the root word of this name, Pergamum, is a word that means married. We're talking today about calibrating your faithfulness. You'll notice that the background image for our sermon today is a wedding ring because we are the bride of Christ. Stay faithful to your groom, church. We are his bride 
And if we reject Satan's lies, if we reject idolatry, if we reject sexual immorality and stay pure, then we get something that's even better. If we reject trying to fit in and be intimate with the world around us and the false intimacy of cheap sex, then we get intimacy with Jesus Christ. Because every time Jesus calls us to give something up, it just means that he has something better in store for us. If you make him your only lover, he will make it worth your while. Look at what he says in Revelation chapter 2, verse 17. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give some of the hidden manna. I will also give that person a white stone with a new name written on it, known only to the one who receives it. You guys remember what manna is, right? It's those little pieces of sweet bread that came from heaven and fell down to sustain God's people, the Israelites, while they were wandering in the desert. Steve White calls them sanctified frosted flakes. <laughs> I like that. Well, there was a jar of that manna that was hidden in the Ark of the Covenant. You may remember that the Ark of the Covenant was the symbol of God's presence among his people. So if Jesus is offering us access to that hidden manna, then what he's saying is this. Be intimate with me. Come into my presence. Don't starve yourself with that idle food. Eat food straight from God. Don't be scared into fitting in with the world around you to try to survive. Don't settle for those cheap meals of immorality and idolatry. I'll sustain you. Come eat with me. You may remember that Jesus himself was in the desert and he was tempted by the flesh to eat bread that the devil was offering him. And what did Jesus say? He says, man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. And later, Jesus said, I am the bread of life. Whoever comes to me will never go hungry, and whoever believes in me will never be thirsty. When we are faithful to Jesus, he sustains us. He says to the church, stay away from the wicked ways of the world, those feasts of those pagans worshiping their fake gods. I'll take you to the feast of a real God. And that feast is coming. As the angel says later in Revelation chapter 19, verse 9, blessed are those who are invited to the wedding supper of the Lamb. And who is invited to that heavenly feast? You are. If you stay faithful to Jesus. That white rock that Jesus mentioned right after the manna could stand for several things. A white rock was given to an athlete after he won a big event and it allowed him to retire permanently. Or a white stone could be given uh, to someone on trial to signify their innocence and pronounce the verdict that they were not guilty. And those things are true. We are victorious through Christ. We are proclaimed innocent through Christ. But a white rock could also be an invitation to a special event. So this promise to us from Jesus is almost like a save the date. This is a personalized invitation to a better banquet, a true intimacy. And on that white rock is a name, your name, your new name that's just between you and Jesus. It's a secret that you two get to share a sign of true and deep and lasting intimacy. Jesus is saying, if you stay faithful to my name, I'll give you a new name. 
And Christ is promising that if we reject the lies of the world, if we focus less on fitting in with the world, on more on faithfulness to him, he's got something in store for you beyond your wildest imaginations. So don't toy around with sin. Don't put Jesus off another day. Don't you realize what you've been invited to? And those lies that the devil is whispering you, that promise of of happiness and satisfaction and intimacy and belonging, those lies, they won't last. A cheap sexual thrill, cheap money, cheap power, cheap fitting in, cheap lifestyle of whatever you want, whenever you want to, it will not satisfy you. It might satisfy you momentarily, make you happy for a second in the same way that a drug addict is satisfied by his next hit but it only leaves you hungrier the next time around and ultimately it will destroy you but Jesus has something better for you don't you realize what you've been invited to some of you today have received an invitation to come to a banquet in God's house and dine with Jesus himself and yet you're still sitting out in the back alley eating garbage from the dumpster thinking that you're living the high life. What are you doing? Don't put him off another day. Don't you realize what you've been invited to, church? Whatever it is that you're living for, if you're not living for your seat at that table, then it won't last. But Jesus has a chair for you at his table with your name on it. So be faithful to him and get the real, true, authentic, lasting intimacy with Jesus Christ, the eternal lover of your soul. Stay faithful to Jesus. He has something better in store for you. We're gonna sing a song now. We're gonna come to a time of communion where we partake of the emblems, this little piece of bread, cup of juice. And we're gonna partake of the body of Jesus that was sacrificed so that we could have life, this bread of heaven that is the only thing that will sustain us. And then we'll drink the cup, the blood of Jesus that was spilled so that we could spend eternity with him in God's house. That's the real thing. Don't you dare settle for anything less.